Welcome to the weekly podcast of Soul Purpose Evangelical Church, located in the city of Middletown, New York. Today's message will be brought to you by missionary Frank Leonetti. Each week, we stream our live recorded services to encourage, build up, and edify our listening audience. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised and infallible word of the living God. Our prayer is that today's message will draw you closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, here is our guest speaker, missionary Frank Leonetti, with today's word. In reverence, we're going to stand to read God's word. Find the place where it's verse 6. And I'm going, we're going to read together and just follow along with me. Then I'm going to pray and you may be seated. Job chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgments? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Verse 11. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Verse 14. Then upon the head of Aaron and his beard. Lord, I beckon to you to impart the fear of God which is a spring of life, to turn one away from the snares of death. Oh, Lord, we need that fear, Lord, to come into us. And when we read about standing before God in the hot seat, to brace ourselves like a man in God questions, we are humbled. And Lord, I just want to pray, Father, that this fear that you would impart to us today would be a spring of life. Lord, we're going to speak about how your anger brings life today. And I want to pray that it would turn each one away from the snares of death. For the devil has more traps than ever. But you are able to keep us, Lord, from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of your glory with exceeding joy. Blameless. Keep us from falling and stumbling. And Lord, I pray for that fear of God. So Lord, you fill the bride with the wisdom of the Lord. Let them be a sponge. Let the seed go deep, bear a hundredfold. And change, Lord, perspectives and understanding as we look at the person of Jesus Christ in all his glory. Let there be a new, re new awe that would come into them. Where as soon as they would hit, get alone, they would hit the pavement and prostrate and say, God, who is like you? There is no one. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Glory to your name. Now, Lord, open up your word to our hearts. And our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
how God's anger brings life. Today's title is How God's Anger Brings Life. When you speak about God's anger, it can be broken up into two buckets. There is corrective anger and consuming anger. There is corrective wrath and consuming wrath. God corrects in his anger. He corrects in his wrath. Isaiah talks about Assyria as being the rod of God's wrath. And he was going to strike Israel so that the remnant would repent and be revived. Jeremiah, talking about Babylon, said that they were the rod of his wrath. Ezekiel calls him the rod of fury. It is the rod of correction. But then there is consuming wrath. The wrath of God abides on unbelievers. And unless these ones that are walking in front of all these and Walmart and in this community receive the blood of the Lamb upon them, when they stand before the hot seat, a place like Job is, and they don't have that blood, they will face the consuming wrath of God, burn in the lake of fire, and be resurrected to the resurrection of condemnation. Remembering forever and ever how they rejected that street evangelist. How they rejected their mother. We don't want that wrath to burn on anyone. And that's why we are the voice of the Lord in the darkest hour of history. The bridegroom is coming in the midnight hour, in the darkest hour of history. God's anger brings life. I want to tell you. Every attribute of God brings life, even his anger. If he is the resurrection on the life, it is impossible to rub your elbows with any one of his attributes without being lifed. This is a topical study that has been done. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's taken me many months and I'm still categorizing it, still going over it. But I have three points for you today. Three points that I'm going to share with you, topically. Our first point is God's anger is distributed. It's dispersed to humble the proud. God's anger is dispersed to humble the proud. So God gives out a measurement of his anger, a measurement of his correction. To humble the, does God just like humbling people? Why? And be reborn, that they'd get born again. Reborn and revived. Now coming to the book of Job. Integrity is a theme in the book of Job. So Job loses everything children, his prosperity, even his health in this book. And his wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? You see, the devil wanted Job's integrity. 
but also Job wanted Job's integrity. And now that day, that theology was, if you're a good person, you will prosper. If you're a wicked person, you will not prosper. So now Job's friends are saying, you're not prospering because you're wicked. And then Job begins to come and say, that's not right. And he starts saying things in such a manner that when God is questioning him in the hot seat saying, brace yourself like a man, I will question you and you will answer me. He says, are you going to condemn me so you could be righteous and justified? The devil wanted his integrity. Job wanted his integrity, but God wanted his integrity. And he got it. At the end of this discourse, Job says, I abhorred myself. I repent in dust and ashes. I hate myself. I repent in dust and ashes. He had a problem with self-righteousness. And this, why don't you disperse the rage of your wrath to humble every proud person on the earth? God, can you make them humble themselves so they repent? So they're reborn and revived? Can you do that, Job? He says, if you can do that, then I, the Lord Jesus, who sit on the throne, will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. This word disperse is translated first as scattered or scattered abroad. Now the first after Noah's flood, all the people were scattered abroad in the earth. Then they came together to build the Tower of Babel. And in rebellion to God, they're building something so high that if it floods again, they can survive. Now, if God allows them to die in rebellion and go to hell, is he merciful? No. So God has to come down and he, and he confuses all their languages. And it says so that they are scattered abroad. The rage of his wrath came down and he humbled the proud people at the Tower of Babel in hopes that they might repent. He doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Disperse in physics is divided light in different wavelengths. So there's a 30-watt bulb, one wavelength, 60, 90, you go to Yankee Stadium, flood lamp, right? So that's different ways, different measures. God inherit the kingdom of God. If you are unrepentant of your outburst of wrath and you say, no, God, I'm going to continue, you will not enter those pearly gates. But anything that is not allowed in heaven is not allowed in God. God's wrath is not an, I've seen outburst of wrath at a bellboy at the airport and everybody's 
head turned. God is not like that. It says in Isaiah, there is no fury in me. Now, I want you to imagine the scales of justice. Can you for a moment? You recompense them, their own deeds on their heads. In other words, for the weight of their sins on this side, now they're going to face an equal measure of the wrath of God. It's correction. But that's not always how God measures or dispenses. In Isaiah 40 and verse 1, when Israel was bad, it says, For she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. So in other words, here is the weight of her sins, but now they've received double. Double correction for them. Why? He is God. Don't ask Job. Ask God. <laughs> David's testimony is, He hasn't dealt with me according to my sins, nor punished me according to my iniquities. He says, look, here's the weight of my sins. It's way down here, but he has not punished me accordingly. Why are we saying this? Because we don't know how to weigh a measurement of sin. We think we do. The fact of the matter is, is the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. We think we know how to. How can we produce the, the righteousness of God? By our wrath? Look at the capital riots. There's a great injustice. What are we going to do? Let's break stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, that will not produce the righteousness of God. It is abhorrent and intolerable what happened to George Floyd. But the riots that followed is not of God and will not produce the righteousness of God. What will? The wrath of God will produce the righteousness of God. Where did it happen? On the cross. Beloved, we are saved for two reasons, not just one. One is the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved because of that. But the second reason is because the wrath of God came upon Jesus. Jesus was judged so we could be justified. Now, let's take a look at the measurement of what happened, had to come upon Jesus. The only way to get through these days is to look at the crucified Christ. When Saul came to power and they were going to fight, the people would, didn't really want to fight until he chopped up an oxen. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to roll everything up like a scroll and we'll have a new heavens and earth. Sin's curse not only came upon the earth, but it came upon the 21 sextillion stars. 21 plus 21 zeros. He knows them all by name. The sin's curse came upon black matter upon the atmosphere of the earth, upon every tree and shrub which is groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God. It came on every teeming thing of the deep. It came on everything that is created. Even my perverse thoughts that are inside and nobody can see. How do you measure sin's curse on a star? 
Stars are all dying. I don't think they did before the fall. How do you measure sin on black matter, the atmosphere on a tree? How do you measure the thoughts and the inclination of people's hearts that are only evil continually? For all of mankind. How do you do that? What metric do you use? Do you use inches? Do you use yards? Gallons? Job thinks he knows. How I can produce the righteousness of God? Maybe somebody thinks they know how to do that in their house. They say, I'll get even. Go there. You lash me once, I'll lash you. Me and my wife, we fool around. There's a guy named Lamech. He said, oh, some, somebody injured me. So then I came back and I killed him. You whip me one time or seven times, I'll whip you seven times. How do you weigh a sin? The fact of the matter is, is we are told not to retaliate in such a manner. The word of God says that, that beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Do you deserve the mercy of God? My God, my God, why? People, you say they don't deserve it? Give them the mercy that you don't deserve, that you got from God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. going to keep to the topic and I'm not going to go off. <laughs> I'm going to be teaching next week uh, online via Bombay and I'm going to be giving each topic for an hour. I'm teaching for about six days, ten days. That's how, so I have to stay on topic here. But there is so much about this and I promise you if you will give your ear to such a topic as this, you'll understand your God. So I have to stay. All right. Our second point. God is angry at those who block his life. God is angry at those who block his life. I have a daughter. Her name is Ariel. She's probably sitting at my wife's lap right now at home watching her papa. Can you block God? Can you? In Psalm 78, Israel is stiff-necked again and again and again and again. And because they don't cooperate, they limit God. Psalm 78, verse 11 says, yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You better believe in coronavirus. There's some so-called Christians in a raw place and they have one little boy and they're bad representations of Jesus because they abuse that boy. They're Christians, but we abuse this boy. God wants to give them life. There's no other source in their quarantine. And God is angry at that, at that because he's blocking God's life. Let me paraphrase Mark chapter 3. Accuse you. 
And Jesus says to these men, these Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. They held their peace. So Jesus looked at them and he was angry, but he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and it was made as whole as the other. And then the government officials, along with the Pharisees, went outside and plotted how they might destroy him. God wants to bring life. He wants to heal somebody. But these people are trying to block God. And he looks at them, and he is angry. The Lord Jesus is angry when you forbid gospel preaching. First Thessalonians 2.16, we'll look at it in a second. Paul was telling them, yes, you've suffered persecution from the people you live around, you, for preaching the gospel, just like the, the Christians in Judea were suffering persecution from the Jews of that day. And then he says, and even we're trying to preach. Now our verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Forbidding... To preach the gospel in a place is so great a sin, we find both the devil's uttermost strongholds and where God's uttermost wrath is reserved. Look at Saudi Arabia. Do you know that if you try to do gospel preaching there, you're caught, you're caught with a Bible. They make your hands like Swiss cheese. Okay, same thing, India, these places... North Korea, right? But what about upstate New York in a small town? When I'm witnessing and I, this woman tells me, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you need to leave or I'm going to come upon them to the uttermost. And we need to be filled with compassion for such souls. This is also where the uttermost strongholds of Satan are. When people reject that gospel, that man needs more prayer than anything. Thank God this church is praying. For the persecuted people and the persecute and for the people that are persecuting. There is a veil that the God of this age has placed upon the mind of the believers, which needs to be prayed off. When you pray for the persecuted church, you pray that as the veil was torn in Jesus' death, that the veil that is over their minds, that the prince of the power of the air is put there, that it would be torn. You tell Jesus it's bought for and paid by the blood of the Lamb, and it cannot remain in the name of Jesus. And we extend this prayer to Middletown. Hallelujah, God. We want to pray right now, Jesus, for Middletown, Lord, for everybody who's resisted the gospel. That as the earth shook at your death and broke open, so you'd break open the hard hearts. We want to pray for soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ.
that when they would speak like Samuel, their words would not fall to the ground, but rather plow the foul ground, the people would not be able to resist. But the last day anointing for people to be compelled and come into the house of God would be fulfilled in the name of Jesus. Now, what about Jesus being angry in the temple when he came in with a whip? Why was he so mad? Why was Jesus angry? He gave you this authority. He says, destroy this body, and three days from now, I'll raise it. Destroy this temple, and three days we'll raise it. But they didn't know he was talking about the body. Why was Jesus mad? Why is Jesus like this in a different way? He's angry. Why? Because these people were supposed to represent God. They were the face of God. The Israelites had to have a car. You got to walk. You got your wife. You got your kids. And you sell your sacrifice there, your lamb, for $20. Then you get to the temple and they say, okay, man, I'm ready to pay. And they're supposed to give you a lamb for $20, maybe $22. But then they charge you $120. That's what they were doing. They were escorting the people. They were thieves. And this place was the only place that the Gentiles can come, the outer court. It's the only place that they were allowed to come. So now uh, imagine the only contact you, that you have as, a, as an unbeliever is a prosperity teacher who's trying to rob you. Come on. Right? I've said it before and I'll say it again. If these men really believed what they preached, they'd say, we want your phone number, call us up, and we'll give you $100 so we can get 1000 But it's a sad day. I wish I could tell, I see the tears in Jesus' eyes in the spirit. I see that. Because Jesus has been represented so falsely. False, see that, see that so-called believer that has that young boy in coronavirus, in the wilderness, secluded, they're supposed to give the life of God, and they're not? That's a bad representation of Jesus. Yes. And now this kid for the rest of his life? Why do you think so many kids, they get molested by priests or whatever, they hate God? These people block his life. Beloved, be very careful not to block the life of God. Be a good representative. Hallelujah. Our last point. A very important point. This point will open your perspective for the rest of your life. Thank you, Lord. God is angry at what destroys you. Man, when he's angry, seeks to destroy you. But God, when he's angry, seeks to destroy what destroys you. <laughs> God does have a rod of anger, a rod of his wrath, and a rod of fury. The corrective rod. Yeah, that's the rod that we think about when we read Psalms 23, right? That's the rod that Jonah got. But if he would have died running in rebellion from God, where would he have gone? Now, Christians, we, we make a mistake. We see this rod of his wrath, rod of his... Fury, and we say, he's going to strike me. No, he's looking to strike what destroys you. Yes? Yes? yes. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus looked 
at those men when they didn't want him to heal the man with the withered hand. He looked at them and he was angry, but he was grieved with the hardness of their hearts. That word grieved means it's only used once. It's to have compassion to. He's grieved. He has compassion on the hardness of their hearts. So God's perspective is he's angry at sin because it destroys you. He's not angry at you. He's angry at the sin because it destroys you. But at the same time, he has compassion on the hardness of your heart. So this great perspective belongs to the children of God alone. The unbeliever can only go so far. So in other words, if an unbelieving mother has an alcoholic son and he's getting drunk all the time and then he gets violent, then she and the children of God alone. They can separate the two as the word of God separates the soul and spirits, joint and marrow. And they can see on one side, I'm angry at this violence because it's destroying him i'm angry at the sin because it's destroying them but at the same time having compassion on the hardness of their heart and i beckon to you if you know somebody who's in some sin please see things this way wisen up and see things how jesus does amen amen because we know that if these people continue in that sin, what happens is it hardens their heart and hardens their heart and hardens their heart. And if they don't repent, well, Paul wrote about that in accordance to the hardness and the impudence of their heart, that is unrepentance, according to the hardness and the unrepentance of their heart, they are storing up wrath for the day of wrath. That's what that sin is doing. It's sending you to hell. God have mercy. Lord, we don't want that for you. You see what Jesus is actually after is those said, he corrected me. I was a liar. I had eyes full of adultery. The Lord, he got me like Jonah. Thank God that he did because if I didn't and I died in my rebellion, where would I be? But I want to tell you like that young man did, don't depend on yourself, depend on the power of God. I thought I was going to die when I was in the mental institution. But I just kept saying yes to Jesus. And somehow, grabbing his heels, he dragged me through all these years. And he transformed my soul. And he's given me his understanding. So I'm not mad all the time when people cross my will, but I can say, Lord, it's not them, it's the sin in them. Have mercy, Father. Allow the Lord to go after the works of the flesh in your life. He's not aiming at you to destroy you if you come under his correction. He's aiming at the thing that destroys you. He's aiming at the thing that if you practice you a little deeper. And then we'll, then we'll come to our plateau and the end of the message. This is, this is very important. If you study the anger of God, what is the righteous anger of God? It's a pattern that you'll see throughout the entire Bible. So the first time you see the righteous anger of God is in Jacob and in Rachel. Jacob is angry at Rachel. Why? What did she say? Rachel said, give me children or I die. Jacob responds and he says, 
well, actually, it says he, got, he was angry. And then it says, who am I, who, why do you put me in the place of God? Can I give you the fruit of your womb? So here is the pattern. Jacob's not mad at her. He's mad at the sin. Right? He's mad at her sin. Righteous anger. Why? Because something put, was put in the place of God. That's the pattern of righteous anger. Right? Now Jesus' teachings start to open up about hatred. Right? So Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, you must hate your mother, your brother, your sister, right? And even your own life, unless you cannot be my disciple. Right? So now, how can a God of love hate? How is it possible? Simple. The God of love hates what destroys you. And when you put your mother in the place of God, that sin destroys you. When you put your father in the place of God, that sin destroys you. When you put a person and idolize uh, even some, an American idol, some kind of Hollywood, Bollywood person, even, even people that we glorify as apologetics, right? We put a person on a platter stool. When we put that person in the place of God, it destroys you. So you have to learn how to hate putting people in the place of God. But the, but the key, the key is to hate your own life. I spoke a message once on how to hate yourself the right way. That's not what you hear in therapy. I've been to therapy. Christian, they, they all failed. Yes. But where they failed, Jesus prevailed. Yes. You need to learn how to hate your self-centered sin. You need to learn how to hate putting yourself in the place of God. You could be as righteous as Job. But if you want to be a disciple like Job, you have to learn how to say, Lord, I abhorred my own life also. Lord, I hate my own life also. I repent in dust and ashes. He, can, he condemned God to justify himself. I was thinking how many times people do that on the street. How many people just say God is not right. They try to find some darkness in him right. when there's no darkness at all. So they can live their own way. But how many of us do it, do it, even do it unintentionally like Job? I'm not more righteous than Job. Amen. You have to hate those 17 works of the flesh. You have to learn how to hate the things that come in the place of God. Even... I, I'm going through some of those things. It's painful, but the Lord is merciful and He's changing me. And the Lord has been so kind. My wife tells me, You know, Frank, you're getting sweeter. Said, Lord, you're answering my prayers. Okay, so you have to understand this. To hate yourself the right way is to hate the things that come in the place of God because they destroy you. When Jesus sees you doing that, He's not mad at you. He hates that sin that destroys you, right? So he's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you, but he hates that thing. The God of love hates that thing that's destroying you. Yeah. Hallelujah. God is stretching our understanding this morning. Amen. That's right. Yes. Amen. Okay. Here is uh, the home stretch here. Here is the home stretch. It's the thing that puts you in the place of God. The thing that you put in the place of God. Right? 
is what blocks God's life. Right? That's what, that's what blocks God's life. Okay, so I'm going to give you two examples why it's so important. We're going to look underneath the hood of the car, in the heart. How does God see things? So when you look at Jesus, right, his perspective, say, Job, we have to get this self-righteousness out of him. Why? Because self-righteousness blocks God's compassion. Okay? Self-righteousness blocks God's compassion. Okay, so for instance, in this passage with the withered hand, see, this man had a withered hand. I'm sorry, no, that's not right. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Right? And Jesus is telling the story because of people who despised others and were self-righteous. Listen, we have to know that we're just like other men. We can't be self-righteous because if you are, and you can't say, you see somebody cursing on the street corner, how are you going to have compassion on them if you can't say, look, at least I curse somebody inside my heart. <laughs> How are you going to have compassion on a murderer? Or somebody who's had an abortion? If you can't say, look, Lord, I also have murdered somebody in my heart. How can you have mercy on a terrorist? We can't. Or, or somebody who's in adultery. Have you ever had a thought like that? So God has to get underneath the hood and say, look, because you have this self-righteousness, I have to take this out. Because you're blocking my life to these people. Because we're, we're all... Even Paul said, I have value. You cannot see the value of a man. So now, the man with the withered hand, these people had envy, right? They got mad at Jesus saying, oh, look, the whole world has gone after him. They wanted to be that. In Galatians, he talks about um, the Pharisees were... Uh, not including them because they wanted them to be zealous to follow them. Right. So don't follow me, follow, I mean, follow me, don't follow Christ. Right. right? So that's what they had. Even Pontius Pilate said that they killed Jesus because of envy. Right? right? So they had envy. Now the man with the withered hand, he had a withered hand. These men had withered hearts. <laughs> More than that, they had withered eyes. Yes. They could not see the value of this man's life. Jesus in another place, same passage, in another place, he says to them, what if you have a sheep that goes down into a pit on the day of the Sabbath? Won't you take it out? Isn't a man more valuable than a sheep? He was trying to show them the value of a man, but they couldn't see it. The same thing with Saul. Saul, what? He says, do you, what is he left to take the kingdom? He's looking for the kingdom now. And it says that he eyed him suspiciously. They eyed him, looking like the Pharisees, how he can accuse him. And then twice, he goes to pin David to the wall. Hallelujah. I mean, the first time I get invited to the church and they try to pin me to the wall with a spear, I might not come back a second time. But can you see how the eyes of envy blocked him by seeing the ultimate glory of God? You see, the reason I love Frankie and I love Albert is because we're working to one end, to glorify God. That's right. Nothing else matters. Amen. 
We love people a lot, but ultimately it's all about the glory of God. And he lost sight of that. And then he lost sight of his intercessor. He didn't value this man, David, and the very person who's praying for him, interceding, making devils go out, causing the kingdom to get victory. He's trying to kill. He can't see the value of a man. This happened to me. Not that I tried to kill somebody, but I lost that sight. I invited my friend Brian Laspada for a couple months, for a couple months to come minister with me out in India. And one day after a long day of ministry, He's ministering to a hundred blind people. It's not like in India, you have patches, their eyeballs are hanging out. It's gross, okay? And as he's ministering all this time for one week straight, I'm just setting him up and praying for him. Something comes in my heart. I say, you know what? He's doing something wrong. I'm accusing him. I shouldn't have done this. He's not having the Indian customs. He's not doing things the right way. And what happens? I'm thinking I should be the one that's up, up there. I should be the one to share. It happens to minister everybody. Yes, true. Now you tell me, who was blind? Those people or me? It was me. I didn't care about those people. I just cared about being exalted, having that place. God's had to take his correction and go after that thing in me. But I'm so thankful that he has. Will you allow Jesus to go after that work of the flesh in you that's blocking God? Is it wrath for you? You get mad. You say you want to get even. You cannot use God's metrics to make the righteousness of God. You can make them suffer. You can make them pay. But that's not approved. That doesn't please the Lord. How is the time? That you ought to, we ought to believe on God. Put that on the altar. Search your heart for the glory of God. We just have a couple minutes here. This is the conclusion. Allow the Lord to search your heart. Have you been blocking God anywhere? Now hold that for a minute. You look at that for just one second. Allow me to be the words of Jesus to you. Just hear these words. Look at, look at your failure. It's okay. The Lord says, I'm not angry at you. I'm, I'm angry at your sin. I know my God. And he says to you, but, I'm, but I have compassion because I know that thing is hardening your heart. I'm upset with this thing that's happening because you're blocking my life. But at the same time, I have compassion for you. Yes, I'm angry at this sin, but I have compassion for you. It needs to go. You're blocking my life. I know your ultimate goal is to bring me glory. I know your ultimate goal is to bring me honor. So I'm allowing you, I'm asking you, will you allow me to bring the rod of my correction into your life. Will you pin this thing to the cross today and reconcile it dead? And the last word of instruction is who is coming against you? What is that sin? Will you look at that person and no longer be mad at them, but be angry at the sin? Will you have compassion on them the same way Jesus does for you? Will you change your perspective today? Will you turn things around? Thank you, Lord. That's my appeal to you today. God's anger is trying to bring you life today. Hallelujah. Okay, so let us turn to God in prayer. You're going to speak to God in your own personal relationship with Jesus. I'm going to give you a minute. 
You looked at that thing squarely in the eyes. This is the thing that's blocking God's life. I want to allow you to repent. Just talk to the Lord, if need be. You know, some people here, maybe you did that this morning. I'm getting my heart right before the service. That's okay, but that, maybe it's for somebody here. Yes, amen. Yeah. You speak to God. Lord, this is the thing that's been blocking you, Lord. Lord, your partner, he's going to labor with you step by step. Some of you, he takes it away. One shot. He did that for me with so many things. But other people, it's a process. That's okay. Today, you're committing to that process. Very good. Very good. As a minister of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that your sins are forgiven. It's nailed to the cross. And you have freedom. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that your perspective would come into your people. That from this point on, my Lord, just as the word of God divides soul and spirit, so they would be able to also. And I want to pray, Father, that you would give them your vision. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lord, I do want to pray for this beloved church, Lord, as they receive the seed, that they would continue to receive seeds from heaven. I pray for great influx and increase. Lord, for sole purpose, church, oh God. I want to pray, Lord, that all the tools that they are given, that they would use, and that you would empower them by the resurrection. And Lord, that their words, when they speak, Lord, oh, they would not be silent, but they would speak. I pray, God, that you would make more of them witnesses like the testimony we heard today. I was speaking before some people in school. Then some more people came and some more people gathered. Lord, I pray, Lord, that would be a uniform testimony here. That, Lord, because Jesus is high and lifted up through the teachings, Lord, of the cross, Lord, that they, Jesus would be high and lifted up in their lives and men would be drawn to them. Lord, they would be attracted to them like, like sinners were attracted to you in the gospel. Asking, Lord, like on the day of Pentecost, what is it that to do that I must, must do to be saved? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, impregnate this church with your Holy Spirit. Lord. And Lord, we want to pray, Lord, for Frankie. Lord, and Albert, and I remind you all that in the presence of God, you said you would pray for your pastors. I remind you that. You practice that every day this week. You tell them, Pastor, Sister, I've been praying for you. Amen. Lord, we want to pray for them, Lord Jesus. That, Lord, as they are taking on hell on earth itself, going through all kinds of things, some they cannot even speak about, Lord, that, Lord, that you would make them have a broad path, that their feet would not slip, that you would give them wisdom, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that they'd be like the tribe of Issachar that understood the times and seasons of what Israel ought to do. I pray that you put a word in them that is fitly spoken like apples of gold and settings of silver. They know the time. They'd have the on-time word, my Lord. And that, Lord Jesus, they would never hold the pride of life, but it would have continual oceans of grace, for you give grace to the humble. Just like they sang, so let it be in their lives. And I pray that you would broaden their fishing net, oh Jesus, and the harvest that is ripe would continue to be before their eyes. Hallelujah. And Lord, very personal prayer. I'm, uh, I've been at the altar many times pleading with God. Lord, don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. We sang it today. So Lord, let's all stretch your hands towards your pastor. And let's agree this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to pray that the fire would never go out. 
that it would burn hotter and hotter, Lord Jesus, as they faced the enemy, Lord, and even Nebuchadnezzar made that higher, hotter and hotter because the people would not bend and bow. We want to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, as they would not bend and bow to this world, oh God, the fire in them would grow hotter and hotter and hotter, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let them be a magnet, Lord, for the people that need to be saved in this last hour. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory for this wonderful time that we've had with you. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. Thank you for listening. We want you to know that you are all in our constant prayers. If you have been blessed by today's program, why not consider partnering with us? To make a donation is easy. You can visit us online at www.specchurch.net or you can call us at 845-956-0133. Once again, that's www.specchurch.net or 845-956-0133. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday morning very soon. Thank you again for your prayers and support. May the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you.